Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, April the 6th. Uh, by the time you listen to this, it'll be my birthday. Um, so... I expect copious amounts of gifts to the Palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond uh, at your earliest convenience. Um, it is officially the off-season um, for the podcast, even though we're going to keep chugging along. Um, we posted a thread, uh, pulled in some questions, probably going to do that uh, pretty regularly um, through the spring, especially you know with football kind of being a little bit more of a mystery, which we're going to talk about on tonight's episode, as well as talk about um, other basketball goings-on in terms of... Um, the, the team and the league and the future and all fun, kinds of fun stuff. And, yes, we will obviously address those uh, questions that I mentioned just a moment ago. Let's go around and introduce everybody out in Waynesboro. Uh, David Spence, welcome back to the podcast, sir. Thank you, Brad. I'm excited to see who earned the right to ask us a question today. David Spence, who Dave's on the board at who Dave's on Twitter. <laughs> really good. I really like that. Uh, as well, also on the podcast, as always, is staff writer Justin Ferber. Welcome back, sir. Yes, logo list once again. <laughs> at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And Cavs Corner is also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for in-game updates, content items, and the uh, occasional witty banter. Uh, I wanted to start in an interesting spot this week. So Grayson Allen's coming back to school, and Duke is going to be ridiculously loaded next year. And I bring that up mainly because I wanted to talk about the future, and I'd been really kind of – the more I thought about Virginia next season, the more I was like, you know, this team could be really good. And you know how, like, a lot of times on the board, if, and if it, you know, it just always happens this way, right? Folks start talking about one, you know, it'll be in the midst of one season. They're like, yeah, but man, next year, you know, next year we're going to be so much better. And I don't want to do that because I just think that that's a little bit, uh, one, I think it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, blanks that have to be filled in with some seriously strong answers before Virginia can be better next year than the, than the Cavaliers were this year. But I also think it's somewhat disrespectful. <laughs> I mean, you're replacing an ace, an all-timer. I mean, you know, somebody whose jersey is going to hang from the rafters, as well as an all-ACC kid in, in Anthony Gill. Um, so the idea that Virginia, you know, can they can they go further? We can have that conversation at some point. But I, I've, I've really come to Ferber's way of thinking on that. Like, until you – like, you can say a team can make a Final Four, but – that doesn't really mean much um, because the whole thing is so volatile. But anyway, what I do want to talk about is I've been thinking about this team next year and the way that these pieces fit together. And then Grayson Allen decides to come back to school, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Like, that is an absolutely ridiculous squad. Like, Javin Delaurier is going to get, like, no burn. Like, none. I mean, like, they're going to have Grayson Allen. Um, they're going to have Jason Tatum. They're going to have – uh, Harry Giles, if he's all the way back from the knee injury, uh, they're still going to have obviously um, Emil Jefferson back. Um, that team is just freak nasty um, in, in so many ways. And so I started thinking about, all right, well, how would how would Virginia match up with them and stuff? But then I just kind of wanted to take a step back and really kind of focus on the Cavaliers. So let's talk about the future, <laughs> at least in terms of next season, and, and our kind of what we're what 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 we kind of either are expecting or what kind of our um our best case scenario or maybe even our realistic um kind of prognostication might be i'll start here i think that people are going to expect austin nichols to be one player and i and i kind of have a sneaky suspicion he's going to be another player and the reason i say this is because like i had i think defensively uh it's going to be a while before he is this shot blocking uh force um, in the middle because I just feel like the, the pack line is just different in terms of like how you have to defend it as a five um, or, you know, because I mean, he'll be the five essentially for Virginia in terms of the way that they run it. So he's going to be drawn away from the basket a little bit more, I think, than most people would probably think and certainly more than he probably was at Memphis. Uh, what do you got? What, what do, you, or do you guys disagree, agree? What do you think? I, I, I kind of feel like... A, I see a lot of teams trying to do to him what they did to Mike Toby. Bring him out on the screen, make him hedge, um, try to see if he can pick up a foul call, but realistically just get him out of the lane. Um, and so he's going to have to settle in on that and, and figure out that recovery, at least from, from where I'm sitting. What do you guys think? Dave, let's start with you. I mean, a shot blocker is a shot blocker. I mean, 
Yes and no, oh, though, right? Yeah, I mean, like yeah, they are, but you know, you're talking. You, you know, if you want to break it down to individual possessions, of course they're going to pull him out. But when it's crunch time, and you got to go get a basket. He's going to be underneath as much as he can be. Um, just the way the game's played now, all the big shot blockers are pulled outside. So, but you know, we're, it's not like he needs to block six shots a game to be effective. We didn't get many shot blocks at all from the center position this year. Most of them were, the, you know, the weak side stuff, um, you know, or, or recovery, and that'll continue to be the case. And that's where. Mamadi will probably excel, but um, yeah, I expect him to have some. You don't lose that ability. You're still going to go one-on-one and get some good centers in the league, especially with the big men coming in. But yeah, I mean, I get your point. I just think you're you're, you're oversimplifying it, brother. <laughs> I just kind of think, though, that like the, the idea that he's going to have all of these opportunities, I guess, maybe maybe that's what I'm looking at. It's like he, he had like, what, three and a half or something blocks per game in his last year in Memphis, right? Yeah. So like, he's not. I, I just don't. I, I just don't know how many opportunities he's going to get, um, considering the way a lot. I mean, like, listen, think about the league. You know, how many teams have a big that they're going to pump the ball into? You know what I mean? Like that. I, maybe that's where I'm looking at it because, and that, that's where the friction's happening in my brain. Because like, I, I just see him. He's. I see him being pulled away from the basket a lot and having to recover. And I don't know if that's not his. He's got very good anticipation skills, and I think that's the key essential to being a good shot blocker is the instinct, right? Is knowing, you know, you got to, when, when to jump and when not to jump. And, you know, how to attack, how to, how to, how to attack it once you do jump. Um, Justin Anderson, freak athlete, don't get me wrong, but he also had very good instincts on the when to jump part. And you could, I mean, he, he did the LeBron track down. I mean, he would, you know, he sized you up. Um, I think for a guy like Austin, it might take a little while. I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is going to be the course, the thing for the whole season, but I wonder if right out of the gate, he's going to be a little bit different than people expect. Mainly because, like, I hope I, I hope people aren't putting like the James Johnson effect on him, because at least with him, you actually had some actually bona fide, real, live, actual results to get excited about. But he's still a, he's still going to be a, a new piece um, in a new system. Um, and he's going to be asked to do more than most any new guy is going to ever be asked to do in Tony's system. He really does have to produce from the jump. And I wonder if he's going to be a little bit different type of player. Uh, Ferber, what do you think? Uh, am I oversimplifying this whole thing? No, I think I think you're on the right track. But, I mean, he's also going to play on the other end of the floor. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think he's going to be maybe UVA's best offensive player next year. But we'll see. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, traditionally, it hasn't been a post player, but uh, I think he definitely has the talent to, to be that. So he averaged 13.3 points per game at Memphis's last year. And, I mean, what we've been able to see of how UVA staff has developed bigs over the last few years, especially um, guys coming off redshirt years, uh, I think that's kind of promising. Look where Anthony Gill was when he touched the floor. Yeah, that's a good point. For the first time. And Austin Nichols is a much more complete player. Uh, before he got to UVA than Anthony Gill was when he got to UVA. So I'm looking for big things from him on the offensive end. Right. And the other benefit that, that Austin has is he will have had, he, he will have had a year of going against AG and Toby uh, inside. Um, so there's that aspect of it too. Um, to me, I, I think you're, you make a really good point about the offense. And I, I really think he's going to be exactly what everybody expects on that end of the floor. Like, I think exactly. Yeah, um, I mean – just to add a little bullet point to this, I've got a friend who's uh, she's probably the biggest female basketball fan I know, um, but her family's kind of tied into Memphis, like old old Memphis. Um, and I was talking to her a few weeks ago um, before the tournament, and she asked how we were going to meet next year, and I was like, "Well, with with your boy coming," and she's like, "What boy?" And I said, "Well, Austin Nichols." She goes, "How did you end up with him? I thought he was at Duke. Like, he's so good. You guys are going to love him." Um, and I, you know she's pretty savvy, so, so I'm going to put her on know, her. If we do did, well, it's all on her. But didn't know where he, where her, where the, their best player landed after he transferred. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, she thought for sure he's going to Duke. Like she was very surprised he ended up at with at UVA. So, um, that's always encouraging. The other piece that that seems to be getting a lot of run on the board has been this conversation about starters, and I think people focus. I mean, I probably fall victim of it too. Like we focus so much attention on starters, and I mean, they're important. Don't get me wrong, but like, so it's you know, it's also important like who gets the bulk of the minutes and who's playing in in big spots, um, and realistically, how big the rotation is and who's in it. 
and what roles they're playing. But anyway, there's been a lot of conversation about who's going to start and who's not going to start. And I, I, I have said this in a couple of different places. I, I, it's really hard for me, having covered Kyle Guy, having talked to him, knowing the kind of kid he is, I'm just not going to say that that kid's not going to start, especially with a European trip coming up. Um, I know that it's April the 6th because it's the day before my birthday, but I say we, <laughs> we, we try to tackle this as, a, as you, know, the, the, you know, the second the horn sounds on the national championship game, um, which we're not going to talk about. Um, the second the horn sounds at a national championship game, somebody is out there with their way too early, you know, top 25 or whatever. And the, the general consensus seems to be Virginia's going to be back in the top 15. Um, think about that for a minute. Virginia's losing the ACC player of the year, defensive player of the year, and an all ACC guy. And people still think they're going to be top 15. That's crazy. That kind of shows you where the programs come to. But anyway, I, so I know we're, we're doing this way too early, but I kind of want to talk about this. So we all, the Givens, obviously, are, to me, are London, um, to me, okay? London, Devin, Austin, Isaiah. Those four, to me, are Givens. Um, somebody else, uh, the, only reason, the only way Devin, to me, doesn't start is if other guys just make incredible leaps um, in terms of their overall ability. Um, so to me, it's, it's basically three guys, one spot. Kyle... Uh, Mariel uh, and Darius. Mariel seems to be the one that most people are kind of um, kind of talking more about. Where do you guys fall on this? Um, do you feel like I am <laughs> the recency bias is just too much that I'm I'm expecting too much out of a out of a very highly rated recruit, um, or do you do you feel like maybe he does have a chance to start? Ferber, we'll go with you first. I mean, it's possible. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it just depends on where he is defensively when he gets there and all that stuff. Um, I think he's going to play a lot either way. But uh, I think the starting lineup, if I had to project it today, would be London, Devin, Mariel, Austin, and Isaiah. So, yeah. um, I mean, nothing too bold there. But I think that's how they'll start the year. Um, but remember, at this time last year, a lot of people thought Evan Nolte was going to be a starter. Yeah, so. you know, that's funny that you mentioned that because I never really – I don't know. I, I, I would have to go back. I don't remember ever how – A lot of people were saying it was going to be either him or Shayok. And then it was like Thompson was a surprise. Like, watch out for this guy. He could start. And he did start to start the season. So, yeah. Well, and Tony went back and forth, obviously, through different parts of the year. Uh, the thing about Mariel, you know, he, he, he clearly to me has uh, – has a lot, a lot of upside. I think we really only saw, um, like brief scratches of the surface this year. I wonder what his season is like if he doesn't fall and hurt that hand, because it did mess with his confidence. But if he comes back and his handles are better, um, and especially if his shooting continues to improve the way it has, I mean, it ain't, it's not exactly pretty, but it usually gets the job done. And he and he's got, he's got a little quick twitch to his game. And an ability to get his shot whenever he wants to that Virginia is really going to lack. Um, I feel like the thing that Kyle brings to the table to me is he is an absolute competitor. And all right, I want to talk about this without offending anybody. Um, how do I do that? Okay, Kyle Guy might be the most mentally tough kid that I can re- that I can recall Virginia really being significantly involved with. Like he's gonna come, he's gonna arrive on grounds with a significant amount of expectations on his shoulder, and it's not gonna bother him. He's not, he's not a kid who like buckles under the pressure. He invites it. He's like, it's like if you took that thing inside Malcolm that makes it so he can like put all the noise away. If you put that in Kyle Guy, but it's almost like he he invites the noise, and the noise almost makes him better. Like I've never seen a kid be like more obnoxiously humble. Does that make sense? Like he, like if you follow him on Twitter and stuff, like he, he, he openly retweets these people who basically are hating on him. Yep. You know, and like I, I just wonder, like if he goes into the situation with a chip on his shoulder and wants to earn the time, I, I, I have a problem counting him out. But I also think that that is different. Like that is very, that mindset. When you come into a team, into a program where it's like everything is humming. Like, I wonder what that's going to be like, because we haven't seen that. And actually, there are a couple of things in this class that we haven't seen. There's that. There's a six foot eleven shooter, um, which I, I, th- I think Jay will probably end up redshirting, and that's a conversation we'll have later. But 
like I also don't know if we've seen a kid as versatile as DeAndre is. And then there's obviously the unknown with Tyler, uh, Ty and the hips and you know when he's going to be able to come back and that kind of thing. But like to me, like you look at Kyle and he's just a different kind of dude. And I wonder Remember remember Dayon said Virginia needed more guys with dog in him. Remember that? Yep. Kyle Guy has got the dog in him. I mean, that kid will work, and that kid just will not be intimidated, and he's not going to feed – the moment's not going to be too big for him. I feel like anything coach throws his way, he's going to be able to handle. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I, I don't know. The whole who's going to start thing, I, I, I think it's a little irrelevant because, man, my guess is between Devin, Darius, uh, Muriel, and, and Kyle Guy, you know, they're going to all end up probably playing about the same amount of minutes per game. Um, I think to start the season, you'll probably see, you know, Mario get the get the nod. Assuming, you know, there's I think there's always off the court stuff and stuff we don't see that are gonna Tony sh- show. Yeah, he showed us this year. He's not scared to alter the lineup if he thinks he needs that That's to get true. a boost going. I mean, Ferber and I used to joke. Jack Salt started several <laughs> games this year. Ferber and I used to joke that uh, that he should. What was it? What was it, Ferber? That he would just throw, uh, uh, like when. Uh, it was Jack Salt. Yeah, it was Jack Salt. It was, yeah, it was yeah. his first one year. They're like, Tony won't throw. Th- Tony won't throw Jack Salt in the game just to prove he can. Uh, but you're right. Tony does a lot of things like that might seem unconventional. So you're right. The lineup. I mean, the yeah, and then you know, yeah, not to overstep you, but no, no, you know, the right. other thing you've got going is, and I don't think we wait. We factor this in enough when we talk about starting lineups. Some dudes need to be in when the ball's tipped. And other guys can come off the bench pretty well, and. You know, Kyle may not be a guy who can, you know, with that energy and that enthusiasm, he may not be a guy who does well getting all psyched up during the warm-up and then sitting two to five to seven minutes before he gets in. Um, and we know Mariel can do that. And we That's know to some, some extent Devin can. So, you know, I think there's some variables, but look, Kyle's got the talent to compete for a spot right away. And, you know, I think I texted you. I was watching him play the other night in the McDonald's All-America games. First time I've been able to watch him other than the highlights, you know, which are unless it's the Wolfpacker doesn't include <laughs> doesn't include bad stuff. <laughs> True. Um, he's just got a really good court awareness, and I think when you put him on a court with London, I, I think Kyle's probably the more prolific sc- shooter of the two. <laughs> well, that's hard to say after the year London just had, but um, they're both very court aware and they're both very game savvy, and I and we know Tony likes that. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know that it matters, but I, I think a lot of what we won't be able to see will determine who gets that third spot. Um, but I think Tony also, I think we're also going to see a lot more variability in the starting lineup next year. Um, you know, maybe not game to game, but when you look back the course of the season, there'll probably be two or three different lineups we use. Right. Um, Cause you know, that's just the way the game's going. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, we've got pieces now to do that. That's right. The other thing I want to add before we move on to football is, I really think that like it, London is the perfect like is the perfect lead dog to kind of show him the ropes. Like London mm, how do I how do I explain that? London is so London is so much more than any anything he actually shows people. Um his ability to like be one person when he's answering questions and be someone completely different when, when he's like, I know for some people, like there's a question sometimes about, you know, should he be more aggressive? Should he not be, you know, should he be more passive? Um, his best games seem to come, you know, when the rest of the team isn't doing well, that kind of thing. But he has this like, and it's not the Cali cool thing. It's an intensity about him. And I really think that like, for the vast majority of his UVA career, he's been surrounded by guys who were doing the best they can, who were very talented, but Kyle might be the first kid that just is going to be able to just run with him. Does, does that make sense? Like, he's just, they're going to be able to just go. Like, there's a, like, when you watch enough basketball, you can just see guys who just get it, right? The court and everything just kind of fits in their brain, and, they, and so, like, it's not a surprise to them when somebody throws them a no-look pass. It just feels like it's coming. Kyle and London, I think, are going to be really interesting to watch because I feel like, right, especially considering they're going to get a European trip, like they're going to be so in lock and step, it's going to be fascinating to me. Um, 
And I've I, said before, London Pride is going to be first team all ACC next year. You take it to the bank. That's my early preseason prediction. <laughs> Dave's like, I'm not predicting starters, but I'll tell you who's going to be on the all ACC. No, I mean we, we've talked about it before. Just yeah. you know, London's always kind of been the servient, you know, feeding the the stars. This will be his first time the team is. Yeah. In many ways, his. I still and, think I still think he's going to be primarily the guy, you know, the as the adage goes, the, that stirs the drink. But you're right. I think he's going to have to do more, and he's going to want to do more. I, I think that's if 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 there's anything that comes out of that Syracuse loss, I, I think it's going to be the 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 amount of pressure he puts on himself because the team essentially got sped up, didn't make good decisions with the ball. Now that's not to say there were all those mistakes were his fault. They weren't. He's the kind of guy, though, who will take it massively personally, and he will be super, like, pardon my French, he'll be super pissed off for, like, the entire offseason. Um, and that's just kind of the, that intensity about him, and I feel like that's that's something that's going to shine through um, in terms of how he kind of brings um, Kyle along. Um, let's let's transition to, to, to some football talk before we get to the questions. Uh, very interesting teleconference today for those of you who have not seen uh, the teleconference thread. Make sure you check that out. Some really interesting stuff in there from my from my point of view, and maybe that's because we haven't been able to see anything else. Um, but I just thought it was really some really interesting stuff from Bronco Mendenhall. I thought when he was asked about, uh, I think this is the first time I can remember him being um, you know, naming names, you know, about standouts. He did, he certainly didn't do that on signing day about the recruiting class, but he was talking about players that he's impressed with. Um, offensively and defensively, he said, Eric Smith, Jackson Mateo, Taquan Mizell, Andre Lavroni, and Donnie Dowling on offense. And he said that the running backs were easily the most, were the deepest and best uh, position group on the team. And then he said, uh, Andrew Brown, Dante Wilkins, Micah Kaiser, Quinn Blaney, and Juan Thornhill on defense. Now, I bring this up because to me it's kind of fascinating. One, because aren't you glad like he didn't say like a bunch of dudes you never heard of? Um, because if your stars aren't showing themselves yet, then that's a problem, right? So the fact that those names mostly are guys that you would expect would be on the top of the list is, is a good thing. His his love for Eric Smith combined with uh, what Garrett Tujay said uh, in the story that Andrew Ranspacker had in the uh, Daily Progress about the offensive line, I wonder if moving Eric Smith around whether he's you know if he sticks the right tackle or if he moves the left tackle it sounds like Jackson Mateo is has really kind of blossomed in this system um, sounds like Jack McDonald uh, is getting a lot of burn at one guard spot um, with Jack English getting the the, the run at the other tackle uh, we all know offensive line defensive line are going to be the uh, the big thing for this for this team and especially this season um, I th- I just thought it was interesting that that coach mentioned uh, a pair of linemen on both sides of the ball, um, as well as the fact of who they were. Um, you know, who could be your left tackle is going to be your center, could be likely to be a defensive end and your nose guard. Um, but I'm curious what you guys, uh, if you had a chance to check out that thread at least, uh, what 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 were some of the things that kind of caught your attention um, from from Coach Mendenhall earlier today? Dave, you can go first. Oh, see, I was going to let Ferber go because he's been so quiet. All right, for yeah, so we'll long. let Ferber go. Go, go Ferber. Wake up, Ferber. He's probably muted. He's sorry, I was muted. He was muted. <laughs> Dave, you go first. <laughs> it's like hot potato, hot potato. Go ahead, no, Dave. Yeah, a lot of stuff you said, Brad, is what I noticed too. Um, yeah, it, I don't want to get into my Bronco love because I have No, go fear. ahead. Get in your Bronco love. Um, go ahead. I see. The fact that, I mean, I think even the casual UVA observer has noticed that, you know, it's been the offensive line, the defensive line that have been a big issue for the last few years. I feel like in the brief time they've been on campus, the staff has been more focused on improving that than the last few years of the previous regime. Agreed. Um, I mean, the number, every time I see a new offer going out, I, I just assume it's Seriously, an offensive lineman. It's an offensive lineman. And then, like, I feel like every kid we talk to, like, the, every second, third kid is an offensive lineman. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and that's part of one of the things I was worried about, knowing we needed to rebuild those, you know, the trenches. Defensive line, that's that's one thing. But offensive line, just because of the way um, BYU has played, you know, the up-tempo, finding a guy who's willing to, you know, a big guy who's willing to play that speed and put in the kind of work they're showing at practice, the, those big guys seem to be eating it up. And I think I mentioned in the last podcast, I mean, if you, if you haven't watched the videos, if you can find any of the offensive line versus defensive line, 
um, clips they show where after the after the offensive lineman, after the competition, they both sprint. Um, I mean, our big there's a couple where I'm pretty sure it's Eric Smith who outruns the defender back to the spot. Um, you know, it's pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, I've been in just the focus and the fact that he's got, you know, roughing uh, the fact that he moved rough into the defensive line. Um, and, and coach, uh, God, Garrett, what's his last name? Uh, <laughs> pronounce it for me quickly. <laughs> 2J. Thank you. Um, I mean, when you see the clips from him and, and I, I hate that we have to talk about clips, but I also love it at the same time. Um, <laughs> it's because it's all we have. Right. But, you know, I had plenty of access last time. Didn't help. Didn't help the product true. field very That's much. True. Um, the drills he's doing, it, it, the team just looks good. They look bought in. Um, look, it's it's encouraging anytime. I think if we all had, if we could all have been on air the second we got the announcement, you wanted the, you know about Bronco coming. The biggest reservations would be okay. How are the how are the leaders going to buy in? Um, and pretty much he named every leader on the team as the guys who were standing out. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think the the uh, look. The one thing you mentioned about the lines, like the offensive line has to start five dudes, whereas the three four only has three defensive linemen. So in essence, like those the two spots might not seem like a lot, but in terms of your numbers, it really is. Oh yeah. Um, not to mention there are different things you can do schematically that can kind of cover up, you know, um, some things defensively that I don't think you can. You just can't cover up offensively. I mean, I think Two J's got the right idea. The offensive line leads the way. Yeah. What um, about the article of Two J where he's like. I want to have at least two guys who've touched the ball during a game. <laughs> yeah, I want to have a couple. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, well, but you know, it's interesting though is that he still he's still going to play his best five, and he's not going to be beholden to positions. Like if a guy starts camp at right tackle, he could end up at left tackle. You know, um, mm-hmm. but I did like his analogy that he's going to basically uh, how do you describe it? He's going to th- that essentially there are five coins in a room. Close the door, and who, whichever five come out with the coin, with the gold coin, that's who start. You know what I mean? Like the idea that like they're all in there fighting together. Um, the other thing that stuck out to me in, in terms of the the people he mentioned was was Donnie Dowling on offense and Juan Thornhill on D. Like those two kids are like this. Please don't throw things at me. Those two thing, those two kids are the kind of talented players, like really versatile dudes that like Frank Beamer turned into somebody. Does that make sense? Like, I felt like for years, like, back when, before, like, they got, you know, too big for their britches. But, like, I feel like that's the way Tech won for so many years. Like, they took kids who were basically, like, really talented, versatile kids, but maybe not, like, uber-talented, crazy, whatever, and they just really got the most out of them. And so it's encouraging to me to see guys like those, as well as, you know, former five-star kids, kind of making a a mark so far. Um, I'll tell you the truth. If, If they can play Thornhill at the free and play and they play coin at the strong i swear to god that's like a win like i'm, I'm not even kidding you i think that's one win in a season i think that's how big of a deal that could be i could be wrong i could quinn could come in in this system and be an excellent free i might be wrong but i've had enough conversations with with people we have been wrong about football quite a bit in the past that's true that's true <laughs> those eight win seasons buddy um ferber what do you think what, what kind of stood out to you uh through the conversations that uh we had the media folks had with uh, old bronco today well, I think the one thing that kind of stuck out to me the most was that he said that he felt like the people who came and watched a team thought they were really far ahead or like were surprised at how far ahead they were. Um, that to me is something that I'm trying to put this in a way where it won't sound like I'm calling anybody out or anything. In the past, if I had heard that, I would have dismissed it. Right. But with him saying it, it rings, it means something different to right, me. Right. I don't know if I, yeah, like I feel like he's not the type to just say stuff. He's not, yeah, you're right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of surprising in itself. I mean, considering how new everything is, but um, from everything that I've read and everything that I've seen on the videos and just Twitter and everything else, uh, it seems like the team is like super bought in. And I mean, he said that what three guys still have to get in. Yeah. Um, that in itself just shows you that the culture's different, um, and I, you know, you keep hearing culture change, culture change, culture change. But I think that's where you kind of have to start with this group. I mean, th- we've already seen like that they can they can play, they can hang with some of the teams that they 
they're going to play this year. It's just making them more disciplined. Like, discipline was such a huge part of, a huge factor in the disappointing seasons that they've had that I think, I mean, that's a good place to start and make sure that everybody's on the same page. And then you can kind of get into the X's and O's and see who fits where and, and all that. Um, and, and yeah, I was kind of interested to see like some of the names he mentioned. Um, but like, like you guys said, it's a lot of names you, you, uh, would expect to see. And then a few that when you hear them, you're like, Oh, like Juan Thornhill was close to playing a lot last year. I felt like he and watching practices. Um, I mean, he worked on the second team. Some, I don't think he actually played much at safety at all, but he did play correct on special teams. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 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 It made so, some plays. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of those things that, like, I, mean, I was yeah, sitting I mean, in front of his high school coach when he got put in that game. He was not very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the thing is that, like, you, you look at it and you say, okay, was that a wasted year? Probably. But also, too, would he be in a position that he's in now if he didn't play? And that, I think, is always a mm-hmm. tough thing to know. I mean, Bronco certainly doesn't care about playing freshmen. Um, you know, the number of recruits that we've done stories on to talk about playing as freshmen has not changed. Um, the the difference is is that clearly this staff knows exactly what they want. They know exactly what it's supposed to be like, and they're willing to tweak what they need to do if they're, you know, if 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 um, like if if their talent dictates that they should do one thing versus maybe what they've always done. Yeah, getting on that whole like I don't want to divert the conversation, but what it's kind of somewhere talking about, given the fact that. Essentially, the current staff has been with these team with these kids since since the new year. A little bit before that, but effectively, since the new year, they had three months of training, you know, off season stuff, full months before they even got to spring practice. And there's still some dudes who haven't qualified to practice yet, right? Just three, just three. But like, maybe that's why he says I don't redshirt. Because how can you come in as a freshman in yeah, July? That's a good point. And be ready to practice by August one to play right. by the end of August if it takes. And like, he made a he made a point too, like when he was talking about people coming to the practices, he was talking about, and I thought it was actually kind of fascinating. He was talking about you know in your, when you're doing uh, same year uh, same year cycle, so like they don't have last June and last summer camps, um, kids on on campus, they don't have that stuff to go on. So essentially. They had to both finish up recruiting 2016, get started on 17, and essentially jump to, you know, evaluations on just on film because they don't they don't they haven't seen a lot of these kids that they're offering, you know, because they haven't even I mean they weren't even there to go see high school games, you know, so yeah. like the, literally the first time they the only time they've seen these kids has been on 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 film, but like getting them to practice shows them exactly how hard it is, and so he part of it he sounded like he. He likes that they, they finally have a chance to see it because they need to figure out if it's for them. Um, but you're right. like what, what that must be like to just go from the high school to college level, but then what they're asking these kids to do, at least if you were, if you were recruited and you could see some of the things that Coach Wintrick puts them through, you'd be able to maybe prepare yourself. But like these dudes weren't prepared, and certainly the 16 kids weren't. Um, you know, I, I, that, that part to me was kind of fascinating when he was talking about the way that they're managing same cycle recruiting. I don't know, I'm about to say something that might seem kind of harsh, but like kind of just tell y'all like how much the previous staff would have struggled with just that concept of like having to change what you do. Like the let me just put it to you like this. One of the biggest benefits that I've already seen from the new staff is just the the fact that they have a very clear organizational plan. Like they know like even if even if it even if they the team loses games, it won't be because they weren't prepared. It weren't. It won't be because the staff was just all over the place. And that's all. I, that's that's as deep as I want to go to it. Like that's just a significant. There won't be any change. arguing on the headsets about yeah strategy. Ex- yeah, exactly. Like they're going to be locking sets because that's just basically the the way it goes. Um, so that to me, that part to me, um, uh, is is pretty is pretty telling. Um, let's get. Isn't to, it pretty um, funny how? I think the biggest complaint that I mean, I think you guys saw it on the board too, was how little holdover it was from the current staff when Bronco started naming his. Yeah, I don't everybody wants yeah. complaints popping up. Right yeah, now. everybody wanted like multiple people, and like <laughs> ultimately, like I understood the reasons behind why people wanted uh, Hagens and Beatty, um, yeah. but I also understand too that like what they've gotten out of um, the, the essentially they have two positions 
two two spots that 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 weren't BYU guys, and they have both been um, significantly important. Uh, McNeil might be the 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 <laughs> the MVP at this point for all for, as, as it seems. Just as a funny thought I had today, um, the day uh, what's the kid's name that just committed? Good lord, I'm getting old. Um, Tommy Christ. Uh, the no, the transfer. Jerry Cohen. Um, yeah. Um, watching that video, I kept. I was thinking this kind of is where this comment came. I was thinking about what it would look like if some we'd held certain guys over. Like, can you, John Tenuta, God love him. He was probably my favorite. <laughs> can you imagine him sitting, be in that room at that point? He'd be the dude over in the corner, like. I can now. And he would. Hilarious. He would not be in the room, though, right? He'd be like. No, he'd be. He'd be off somewhere else, cursing someone else, <laughs> doing his own, doing his own yeah. thing. It's just different. It's fun. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's jump into uh, let's jump into these questions um, because we do have some, and we're going to bounce back and forth. All right, do you feel Tony Bennett will tweak the offense this summer around the new personnel that can do more than any group he has had at UVA? Um, Grafton, I think you have. <laughs> You've kind of led us exactly where you wanted us to go uh, with that question. I'm going to just let you guys answer, and then I'll I'll go second. Ferber, what do you think? TB going to tweak the offense? Yes or no? Yes. How so? Quick, you don't you know, you don't have to you know write me a paper. Uh, I mean, not nothing major. I think he just always tweaks things a little bit for the personnel. So um, I expect them to see. Uh, I expect to see a few more balls. Like if if guys played a lot, I expect more. You know, ball screens for threes and actions like that. Right. Um, and then I, I think, like I said, if if Austin's like their primary scorer, I think you know they'll try to play a little inside out more often than they have. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you're going to see him try to get the ball like specific plays where you're. I I never really got the sense they did much of that for Gill. I mean, maybe they did at times, but like you know, it's not enough anyway. Yeah. Um. So I feel like in a lot of ways, like that could be a real that could be a real a real good thing. Uh, let's see. Um, Bronco and kids have Bronco staff have hit kids in Georgia, Florida. Um, no, no relationship with those kids. Does Bronco inherit a database created by UVA coaches over many years that not only lists schools and contacts, but identifies school and coaches where academic success is important, thereby creating targets with better chances of being interested? Man, that is one hell of a question. Um, to my Sounds knowledge. Like that, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they held over. Yeah, there are a couple of folks in the recruiting office that are held over. As terms of like a database, I'm, I know that they have a system. I'm not sure uh, how in depth that system is. My guess is yes, they 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 did come in um, with some, um, you know, with some pre-existing uh, resources, so to speak. Is that a good way to say that? Bronco uh, writes his own program. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, but then Bronco Bronco's does a lot of his own it. stuff. Yeah, he's doing it from an RV where he's got like. <laughs> he's got, he's got uh, one gigabit internet there. He's 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 cleaning it up. Now uh, it's yeah. I think holding over those inner, inner guys helps with that a lot. Um, yeah. So I was going somewhere with that, but I'm gonna stop because it's gonna go way off topic. Keep going. See <laughs> <laughs> um, all season for us too. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, so I'm looking at it. And I'm thinking, you know what? That that makes sense. That Blanda and Bob Price and the folks in the recruiting office. But I also think too, a lot of it is a lot of it too is the connections. Like in Carolina, for example, uh, a lot of those connections are just from from rough. I think. Um, uh, but I, I think that there is there is a significant portion of of, of maybe pre existing infrastructure. But I'm sure that at this point, Bronco has significantly tweaked it. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, curious if you guys think this year's upcoming team could actually be better because <laughs> throw the bras and watching work. That's actually a good point. I do think that because you do have a clear inside guy, a clear outside guy, uh, your point guard and your big, that the offense will look different, that things will look different. Um, what do you guys think? Um, with Nichols, Momedy, and Wilkins, will there be, um, could this be the best defense that Virginia's ever had? And what do you think of the overall team? This year, probably not the best defense we've ever had. I mean, we talked about in an earlier podcast that kind of the defense that won that championship game when you've got, like, Malcolm is not even being considered a defensive presence at that time, um, you know, with Akil and Darion on that team as well. It's, But, I mean, I think maybe next year, you know, if everyone – if Nichols is a two-year guy, next year's – or even late this year, they could be really good. Um They'll be different. I mean, I think they'll be. We'll have some more rim protection than we probably ever had under Tony. Uh, well, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, probably. And then, 
you know, what we've got a lot of different pieces to defend. Um, I just think the game has changed so much, even going back to when Tony started. I mean, the, the number of all teams running different offenses, um, you, you can't just be a big team to defend the post. You, you've really got to be able to, you know, go against a banging team one night and then be able to spread out and cover up, you know, a, a stretch four the next night. And yeah, good Lord. I mean, I think Villanova kind of proved that. What do you think, Ferber? Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, don't think it'll be the best defense right away, but I think it could get better. Um, do I think this upcoming team will be better because they're not just going to throw it to Brogdon and watch it work? I think no, um, because Brogdon was the ACC player of the year and a consensus <laughs> first team All-American. So um, they don't have that guy, I don't think. I think I think Nichols could surprise people and end up being really, really good. Um, but, I mean, he was all, AA, all AAC his uh, sophomore year at Memphis. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think they'll be fine. Um, I think it would be a little naive of me to think that they're going to be better without Brogdon and Gill. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, the thing that's been annoying me the most on the board recently, I'm sorry for keeping jumping, um, is people say, oh, uh, we're losing Brogdon, but Brogdon wasn't a, wasn't a high-rated recruit. I don't care what you were is coming in. Yeah. Brogdon, Brogdon was a father on the way out. I mean, come on. I mean, I understand the argument that that Tony is bringing in the best class he's ever signed, and that's true. Um, but you can't like there's this there's this idea that like if you come in as a four star, you can you, and you and this other guy comes in the three that the three can never develop. You know. I mean, like, the only guy that left, the only two guys that were left from his first class were Joe Harris and Akil Mitchell, who were like the two lowest rated guys. Yeah, I mean that's that a, yeah that's the weird thing about recruiting is like recruiting does it's not like in perpetuity. Like just because you were a four or a five doesn't mean that you're you, that other guys can't develop or fit their system like that's the thing about recruiting like you can't take a kid two years into his college uh career and say oh you guys missed on him well you can say and say oh you know what 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 did you know at the time you know like jay huff is a kid that a lot of recruiting services mine included didn't really know as well and even the ones that ranked him highly did it off of essentially one weekend um yeah but like you could look at him and say, you know what, you didn't, you missed on the boat on that one. But if you have a four-star kid and he ends up developing into essentially a five-star level talent, like it's not like it, those things aren't like it doesn't just exist f- for perpetuity. Like that, you have to think about the way that a player develops, the way that player fits the system they're in, and the way that the player and the system they're in are surrounded by other players in that system. Like yeah. it's it's all encompassing. So like, yes, this is the best recruiting class Tony's ever had, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know that replacing these guys because they weren't highly rated recruits is it's not apples to apples. The problem that you run into with that conversation, at least in my opinion is, is that the program is impacted um, clearly by the development aspect, right? So you should make, you should be able to make the argument that, all right, these kids are coming in. There's really highly rated kids. They should develop. The problem is, is that you don't know, what it's going to look like in two years, and so forecasting that out is tough. What you do, th- what you do know, is that talent-wise, this is the best class Tony's ever had. And so, if you're going to have to have, you're going to have to have a class that replaces a group like the one that just is just leaving the winningest class in school history, whatever. Then this is a good one to have the most talented, you know, recruiting class you have. But until they, until rubber meets road, you just don't know. Um, that's just the, yeah, kind of the way it is, and, and this is not a poop to, to poo poo recruiting sites, but you know, you, you don't really, you don't rate a recruit based on okay, well he's got a great vertical, is super athletic, he can shoot the ball, he can pass the ball, and he plays well with others. I mean, yeah, he plays well with others right. isn't isn't factored. Yeah, you're not you you're not taking into account what system they're games. going to and how well they fit that system. Like you're yeah. looking at the recruit in terms of just out and out potential. Um, I mean, you can watch the McDonald's All-American game, and literally, and this is no, and I might be underselling it, you can watch, just watch the game, and you can say 50% of those guys would never play for Tony Bennett. We'll see, okay. No. And it might be more oh, than that. God, that's just wrong. Like, no, you know what I'm no, saying? Like, the, it's no, not just... No, you're just wrong. Yeah, no. no. I'm not wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> if Tony could have... This is, this is like the whole Fawn Maker conversation. Um, if no, Tony no, could see, have any of those, no, no, if saying, Tony could have a lot any of these of those guys kids, don't care about what Tony cares about. Yeah, see, I wouldn't say that. Like, I, I think we make the assumption that kids who want to get paid or want to uh, that want to get to the NBA level as fast as possible that they for some reason don't play team basketball. Kyle Guy is a very showboaty kind of kid, and yet a very team oriented guy. Um, I, I think a lot of the best players these days 
enjoy playing with great players. It's probably one of the reasons why they want to get to the league. Um, because, I mean, and I look at it from the standpoint of why well, I continue to play college for free when I can get paid for it and I can be better. Um, I, I think the idea that, like, these guys, you look at, you look at the class Duke has. Like, those guys are going to play with great talent, and they're going to play in, a, in, a, in an environment where they're going to they're gonna be challenged. I, I just think that we make a mistake when we see really highly rated players and think that, like, they couldn't play for a coach who has a system or who demands a lot. I, I didn't I think, say all could. I said about half the guys. I, I, think that, I, I, I think there might be yeah. maybe one or two of those guys, yeah. mainly because of attitude. But, like, Tony, what Tony's asking kids to do is not that dramatic. I mean, he's not asking them to go out there and, you know, start – you know, playing for on peach baskets. I mean, you know, he's he he's asking them to play a team concept, but he's doing it. I mean, it's there's actually a lot of freedom in what they do. Um, it's just you got to get to the place where you can see it. All right, position battles. It. Who have who has a bigger? Yeah, I was going to say he doesn't have him doing temper runs. Um, let's see. Uh, Guy versus Shayak, Diakite versus Wilkins, Hunter versus Hall. I'm not really sure where the position battles. I think we answered that. Uh, we kind of did, although I don't know why people keep pairing up Huff versus Reuter. That's I mean, those two guys, they're big white dudes, but that's basically the, the extent <laughs> of the comparisons. Um, yeah, we kind of we touched on this. I will say that I don't see um, – I really don't see Hunter and Hall in much competition with each other, mainly because I kind of think that Hunter is going to be more – uh, three four ish. I mean, like, I, I, like he no, I th- no, he's a legit six seven. He was six seven at the at the Under Armour Rivals camp last year. So by the time he gets to Charlottesville, he could probably be six seven and a half, six eight. He's going to be, and I don't, and I mean this with all due respect. He's going to be what everybody hoped Evan Nolte could be for the team this year in terms of like a big who can you can put on a stretch, on a stretch guy, you know, a three and playing a four who is just a little bit too long to be covered by a, th- a real three, but too quick to be covered by a four. Um, he he's going to be kind of perfect for that, I think, as well as being a guy who can come in and get you buckets, but also kind of play that role. Um, so I don't really see him at Hall kind of uh, in 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 a position battle. Um, you know, I think the guy versus Shayak one is is the one that really kind of tips it. Now, Mamadi versus Isaiah is interesting in the sense that I believe that that Mamadi, how Mamadi goes, he might be the the difference maker for this team in terms of it being good or, or being elite. If he's able to to to, to not, I don't, I'm not worried about numbers in terms of his weight. I'm worried about his strength. If he's able to hold his position. And play that way, and he's able to, to as they ramp up his minutes is what I'm, I'm expecting. Then they, then they can this can be a very special special team. Uh, what offers are out for 2018, and what are they looking for? There are like what five scholarships in that class, so pretty much everything. Um, offers are out to guards and forwards at this point. Um, maybe one center, but pretty much they're they're wide open. The problem about talking about 2018 before you have 2017 is you don't know what your needs are. So essentially, with all those spots left, you're you're looking at your needs are wide open. And so right now, in that class, you're essentially offering kids you know would fit your system. Not worried about numbers and all that fun stuff. All right, tweaking the system. Um, I do think that the offensive approach has has always depended on uh, efficiency. And so I don't think I don't think Tony cares about going fast. I think Tony cares about being efficient. So if, if these guys can come out and, 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 and show, whether it's a four-guard lineup or whatever, that they want to play fast and want to do it well, then they'll do that. Um, but it's up to the players to execute. And so I think when they don't execute uh, and they have to work harder to get better shots, that's when, that's when they, you know, they're not, they're not playing slow uh, because they are being told to. They're playing s- deliberately because they need to get a good shot. And so that's how long it takes them to get a good shot. Yeah, final score of the championship game is what seventy seven, seventy four. I don't want to hear anything about playing faster. Yeah, fa- it's speed, being efficient. Speed, people, yeah, if he, speed is a little bit of a misnomer. It's not about necessarily playing fast. It's about playing well. And if you can go fast and, and score, you know, a point and a half per possession, okay. But most teams aren't going to be able to do that. And so the question is, can you can you can you be as efficient and and be as execute as well if you go fast? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes, you know. For in Virginia's case, the the way they be they're efficient is they is they work to get a better shot. Um, I think, and then we had some questions. Grafton and and Pete uh, both want to get on the podcast. Um, your your questionnaire is in the mail. Um, 
Yeah, I'm always afraid that if if uh, if we open it up to just anybody getting on the podcast, it will, it'll never end. I do think I do want to go back to doing some type of guest situation where every once in a while we pull somebody in um, for you know, maybe they maybe they want a prediction contest or something. We did that a couple years ago. Maybe we'll get back to that now that people care about football again. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe we'll go that route. Otherwise, uh, keep hanging in there, um, and <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, anything else for the good of the order? We're going to put some quizzes on the board and see if you're worthy. <laughs> we're we're going to put some quizzes on the board. <laughs> yeah, congratulations anything, to Villanova. Anything else? <laughs> did, did you guys actually watch the game? I literally did not watch a second of basketball until the last minute of that game. I just Twitter was blowing up. I was like, I guess I better flip it over. It was a very good game. I did not watch... Uh, I just I did I just didn't want to. I just I, I, honestly the end of that game made me feel so much better. I, well, you know it's funny. My it's sister. Like it really I mean, it was sometimes. it was it was a tremendous game. My <laughs> sister, uh, my sister, whose husband went to Carolina, loves Carolina through and through. Um, she said he was standing up, and that when that ball went in, he literally fell to the ground. And I was like, oh, that's yeah, I've been there. I was there like a week before. But <laughs> it was just the stakes, man. I mean, it was just like it was like one second you'd hit a shot to tie it, and you probably were going to go to overtime and maybe win it. And then, like, you just had to have one more stop, you know? And like, I think how Carolina lost is much worse than how you beat it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, brutal. No. That's if you're going to lose, don't make it to the championship. Period. Ugh. Ugh. No. Yeah. Um, I also, before I forget, I want to give a shout-out to um, <laughs> my, my tax guy. Uh, <laughs> when I'm texting with him the other week about my taxes, <laughs> he, he randomly tells me that there's a guy in his office uh, – who who listens to the podcast? Who I'm I'm guessing as he's listening to this now is kind of freaking out. He's, <laughs> there's this whole conversation here where he's like, um, a coworker said he enjoyed your podcast, and I was like, oh, thanks. Like I don't even know how you knew I had a podcast. Like <laughs> what kind of information are you sharing of my taxes there? Um, so anyway, Gilman uh, at at my buddy Chris's office. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, there's your shout out. I'm sorry I forgot last week. Um, on that note, I think it's a good place to, to put a pin in it. We've covered a variety of topics tonight. Um, so I appreciate everybody out there for continuing to give us a listen. Uh, thank you guys for being on the show as always. Um, so you, for, have to, you have to earn next week's podcast. Yeah, that's true. You have to earn it. Um, <laughs> Happy birthday, Brad. Yeah, Happy birthday, Brad. Yeah, thank you. I don't want to have to Facebook it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Fa- uh, Facebook on your birthday is literally, on- other than pictures of your kids, is like the, the only time Facebook ever. matters. Like, no, no, I like it because, like, every time I, cause I don't have notifications turned on, so every time I check Facebook tomorrow, there'll be like 30 notifications. It's going to be great. Um, it's the only time, it's the only time I think Facebook matters. Otherwise, don't let them down, Facebook. Um, so, anyway, uh, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, I, I will be 35 and it will be hopefully a very good year. So, for uh, David Spence, for Justin Ferber, I am Brian Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. <laughs>